today on Ag News Daily. We recruited a very diverse panel, so different ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds. So it was a really interesting and diverse array of perspectives. We- Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another podcast here on the Agnes Daily Podcast, joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Of course, I'm Delaney Howell. Mike, what do you know today? Oh, boy, what do I know today? I know that there is a massive pile of rainfall moving Mm. across the Corn Belt. I was watching Twitter this morning. A lot of frustrated growers out there ready to get in the field and it ain't happening today in most places. Snow over in western South Dakota, I saw. Yeah, and it sounds like this is going to be the weather pattern here for at least another week, maybe two weeks. Ugh, boy. And Mother's Day weekend, isn't it this weekend? It is next. Is this the 11th this weekend? Yeah. Yeah, then it must be this weekend. Which is usually, isn't it Naomi or somebody that said Mother's Day is usually the time when the markets start to react Mm -hmm. to not getting into the fields? Exactly. If if next Monday's planting progress report continues to show delays, which mm-hmm. as we're watching this weather forecast, it, it almost has to, mm-hmm. we might begin to see some premium move into these markets. But we still have the China yeah. headline tariff garbage trade talk right. stuff that, as you mentioned on Monday, could overwhelm the any sort of bullish news yeah. from planting delays. Yeah, and it sounds like producers as a whole are still pessimistic about the U.S.-Chinese trade relationship. We're going to be having on the podcast later this week a gentleman who works for Purdue University who helps put together the Ag Economy Barometer and then, of course, that producer sentiment reports. We saw from the latest Ag Economy Barometer and Purdue University charts that Of the 400 ag producers interviewed across the country, only 28% of respondents felt that the two countries will reach an agreement in the next two months. And that number is down 45% since March. However, 71% do feel there will be an agreement benefiting agriculture at some point in the future. So... Well, at some point in the future, that yeah. is a very open-ended mm-hmm. type of uh, of question. Yeah, I think I think that's probably accurate. At some point in the future, something good will happen. <laughs> right. Yeah, at some point in the future, we're all going to die. So, you know, take it uh, take it with what you can. It was, uh, I believe it was John Maynard Keynes, the economist, who said that over the long run, we're all dead. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when we think about these, this trade deal, of course, we did get official word today in the Federal Register that the U.S. will be raising tariffs on the uh, $200 billion we currently have tariffed at 10%. That's going to go up to 25% effective on Friday. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, the U.S. trade rep, they're going to do another process through which you can get exclusions for certain products if you need, you know, I suppose if that's you, I guess, get in touch with the USTR somehow. But um, this is uh, another another uh, salvo, I guess, in this trade battle. And China came out today after this took effect in the Federal Register that said they will take retaliatory measures if Washington goes ahead with the plan to raise tariffs on Friday. Um, so we will see China look at raising tariffs again on our products going into that country. It will be interesting to see if tariffs on pork get hiked or not as we uh, look ahead to how China responds to this thing come uh, Friday or perhaps on Monday. Yeah, you'd think it wouldn't be in their best interest to raise tariffs on pork. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, because they're going to need to get some from us at some point. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, 
that would certainly spook the markets and it would hit the heartland, which is where President Trump is, you know, trying to continue to boost support Mm -hmm. here amongst farmers who are seeing kind of the the rough end of the stick, so to speak, on this whole trade war situation. Absolutely. Well, I was talking to market analyst Ted Seifert, who, of course, is part of the Zaner Group there that sponsors the Ag News Daily Podcast. I was chatting with him yesterday about it, and he, I said, Ted, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think a trade deal is going to get done? He said, I think Friday or early next week, we're going to know for sure one way or the other if we have a trade deal in place. So he thinks if we're going to get one, like in the near future, it's going to be this week or next week. Otherwise, he thinks it's going to be kicked down, kicked the can down the road quite a while longer. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we saw yesterday was there was a draft of China's response to the initial trade deal, and they have basically backed down on mm. everything they had initially promised. So we're, we're effectively back at square one, which I think is going to make seeing something happen soon a tall order indeed. Yes. Well, another thing that's been a tall order in Washington, D.C. is getting a disaster aid package passed. We saw progress kind of appeared, then we saw it stalled on Tuesday after it hit the Senate floor. It sounds like both sides, Republicans and Democrats, are asking for provisions that the other party says it's a no-go. So we're still watching lawmakers deal with that. They're also looking for signs of approval from President Trump, who really the only thing he's been pretty vocal about has been the additional funding for Puerto Rico and that he opposes it. But it sounds like a lot of folks are saying we need to get this done as soon as possible. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said at the two or said to the Senate and at the Senate that Memorial Day recess. We need to get it passed before Memorial Day recess. Okay, that would give them what two more full weeks, I suppose. I think they go to recess the twenty fourth. Is that a Friday? Yeah, the twenty fourth. Yep. All right. So, you know, we got 16 days to get something done. And of that 16, of course, they're not going to work all of it. So we've probably got eight days to get something done. And I guess keep your fingers crossed, I suppose. Well, and Senate Appropriations Chairman Richard Shelby, who's Republican from Alaska. So, you know, maybe not a super big ag state, but he said it's important that we get something done now because he said if we can't get this done, he said, this is literally what he said, what the heck can we do on something much bigger? Yeah. I mean, I think that's what everybody's asking. If we can't, you know, we often kind of forget about Puerto Rico, but they are citizens. Mm-hmm. They don't vote in federal elections. They don't pay federal income tax, but otherwise they are citizens. Right. And if we can't get something put together that helps them recover from the hurricane and helps the farmers and the business people, Midwesterners, suffering after this flooding, I, I mean, how are we going to get anything else done? How in the world are we going to get uh, USMCA through mm-hmm. how in the world are we going to get any of this stuff done? And, you know, people wonder why they don't trust Congress. We don't trust the system. It's because the system consistently fails. Yeah, unfortunately. Oh, gosh. Well, actually, speaking of uh, of the system, the man, so to speak, <laughs> um, we've got, got a report here. So Secretary Purdue, we talked about this late last year, wants to shake things up, but the USDA wants to cut costs by moving the ERS out of Washington, D.C., the Legion of Scientists and Statisticians. He says they don't need to be in D.C. to do their work. They can do it anywhere. And so since he has kicked this plan out and put it forward, um, people leaving the USDA has doubled over its Mm. three-year average. The number of non-retirement departures so far in 2019 is on track to be more than twice as high as the three-year average, according to data collected by employees. And 
you know, data because, collections, what they do at ERS. Because they want to stay in DC. So they're saying if we, if we're going to have to move, we don't want to do this anymore. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. That, that's my take on it is they're saying we don't want to have to leave. We like DC, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to take my retirement package and, and go elsewhere right now before the uncertainty, uh, you know, makes it harder. Hmm. Interesting. That's a pretty big turnover rate. Yes. Yes, it is. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We still haven't. He hasn't confirmed a movie, hasn't picked a town to which they will move ERS. But apparently the uncertainty of it is uh, is causing folks to leave. Okay. Oh, actually, I lied. Um, We have three final uh, sites for Mm -hmm. the new ERS location. We've got Kansas City, uh, Indiana. It says multiple sites in Indiana okay. or the North Carolina Research Triangle. So hmm. that's where that's where ERS could be going. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. My money's on North Carolina. <laughs> oh, that was going to be mine, too. Uh, yeah, that just seems to be the hot spot. Nashville and yeah. North Carolina seem to be where everybody's going. Nowadays. Although Kansas City, for being a more urban area, has a lot of ag stuff within its parameters. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, we'll be talking to somebody down in Kansas City in our discussion this afternoon. That's true. We will. A conference that's going on right now in Kansas City. Yes. So stay tuned, listeners. Yes. Well, another piece of news here as we get maybe a little more moving on the WOTUS front. It sounds like the Trump administration made some announcements that they are aiming to finalize the repeal and replacement and have a final rule in place for waters of the U.S. by the end of this year, according to a Justice Department official today. Hmm. That's all I've really got on there. They don't have anything else. They said they're working on step one and step two, step two of the rulemaking process, and that should be complete um, but they said the process and the timeline has slipped a little bit, so they're still aiming for the end of the year, but maybe sounds like that might be a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. Slipping timeline seems to be the, the, the story in mm-hmm. DC today. That's kind yeah. of the overriding headline is, yeah, things aren't getting done as, as soon as we were figured. Uh, but I do have some good news, actually. Okay. Um, coming out of Coral. Korea, South Korea, in fact, uh, you know, of course, beef was banned into Korea. U.S. beef was banned after the uh, mad cow disease scare in 2004 BSE. And so 2006, I believe, we've been sending beef back over there. We signed the Korean-U.S. free trade agreement back in 2012. U.S. beef has continued to increase in shipments over to South Korea. And in 2018, we set a record year for beef exports to South Korea. Basically, we sent over just about 650 million pounds of beef into that country, which is good news. Yep, it is. Increased demand and getting people to eat our beef. Darn right. Once they taste that delicious American corn-fed beef, they can't go back, is my take. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, I have just one other piece of news, and I think it's some good news here as we look at uh, what's going on across, especially Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, etc. As folks are maybe still finishing up some of the fall field work that didn't get done and trying to get into the field. We know fertilizer has been an issue and not so much fertilizer as in applying it, which also has been an issue, but getting fertilizer and the price of retail fertilizer because of closed railways, barges, etc. because of all the flooding. We saw this week that fertilizer retail trends are trending lower for the second week in a row, according to some data 
that uh, DTN tracks for the last week of April 2019. The, the move wasn't a huge move, but they said this is the second week in a row where we've seen five of the ma eight major fertilizers have lower prices compared to last month and the weeks before. It seems like they also did a survey of producers saying, you know, did you get fertilizer? Was it too expensive? Did you even think about buying it this year? And it sounds like out of the six states that they had double-digit responses from, farmers in Nebraska, Iowa, and North Dakota reported the most shortages of fertilizers with 15%, 13%, and 10% respectively, saying that their fertilizer retailer had run out of fertilizer. So I think that comes as no surprise. Those were really the states we had seen that were having some fertilizer shortage issues. Absolutely. Anything that has to come up the river is stopped at St. Louis. Yeah. And, you know, they're having to transfer it to trucks, which does not make economic sense. Mm -mm. They're having to transfer it to rail, which also makes the cost a, a little higher. And uh, or they're just not shipping it all together. And with the wipeout of highways and railways and everything else that's happened with this flooding, yeah, it's just a, a miserable struggle to try to get things mm -hmm. up into the upper plain states for sure. It was also noted in their studies that overall, those eight major fertilizer companies are on average um, about three to 10% more expensive. Actually, I would say the median here is probably 10% because there's even one company that had some anhydrous that was 17% higher than last year, mm. just going to show input costs are not getting any cheaper. No, no. I mean, we're still planting a big corn crop this yeah. year and uh, those input costs right on that demand, not necessarily the price of corn, which is mm -hmm. frustrating for it growers is. facing that margin squeeze. Um, I want to end our news segment, Delaney, on a high note, if you okay. will. Okay. Is that a yeah. uh, pun? It is. It is a pun because the largest recreational cannabis farm in the U.S. has just been purchased. Mm. Yeah, by a company called Crop Infrastructure. Uh, they purchased a suite of licenses to grow recreational cannabis and a 1,000-acre property uh, for just about a little over $8 million. And um, effectively – they are going to plant 40 acres of that into cannabis production this year. So they're going to slowly scale up production, but they're starting with 40 acres outdoor production. So this is, this is marijuana just growing out, you know, on the roadside effectively in uh, Nevada. So it's, it's, Nevada. it's marijuana, not hemp. Right. This is the, the real deal. And so right now they are working on building a wall around their 40-acre uh, sort of test plot. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because there's they got to worry about more than raccoons, I'm afraid, getting <laughs> into their uh, their little plot there. Oh, really? Like what? Like stoners. Oh, okay. Stoners are going to be trying to climb that fence. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and well, maybe is... some stoned raccoons. Who knows? Well, all right. Or they might be after they get in there. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, they're going to have to go into all their neighboring farmers' sweet corn patches because they're going to have the munchies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. All right. Well, way to end it on a high note, Mike. Can we end it on a high note in the markets today as well? No, we cannot. Yeah. Unless you're a buyer. It's a great yeah. day if you're looking to, uh, to be an end user or a, uh, a beef purchaser. All right. Why don't you break it down for us? 
I will do that. Folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, we talk about them every day, but volatility sometimes can create opportunity. Give them a shout and manage some of your marketing risk. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. It is down pretty well across the board again today. In the corn markets, July corn down two and a quarter at 364 and a quarter. December down one and a half to finish at 382 and a quarter. In soybeans, the July was off three and a half cents at 827 and a quarter. November new crop down two and a half, finishing at 850 and a half. In Chicago wheat, the July contract down half a cent at 439 even. The December down one and a quarter to close at 461 and a quarter. It is red in livestock as well. In the live cattle complex, June fats down $1.20 at 111.0750. The August down $1.67 and a half to close at 107.40. Feeder cattle, same story. The contract down $1.72 and a half, closing at 143.87 and a half. September down a dollar 62.50. Finished the day at 144.85. And in lean hogs, the June contract was off 70 cents at 88.55, with the July down a dollar 37.50, closed at 90.75. Jumping over to the dairy markets and our look at class three milk, the May contract was off a nickel at 1640, and the June down 13 cents to close at 1642. Not a great day in the livestock markets, but there is fascinating livestock news coming out of the Animal Ag Alliance's annual stakeholders conference down in Kansas City. Our friend Hannah Weeman, Hannah Thompson Weeman will guide us through what they're talking about. Well, folks, today we're very excited. Neither Delaney or I could make our way down to Kansas City. But for those of you listeners on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen a lot of hashtag AAA19 going around today. And we have on the phone with us Hannah Thompson-Weeman, the Vice President of Communications at the Animal Ag Alliance. She's going to give us an update on exactly what is happening down there at the big conference. Hannah, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Absolutely. We are really excited to be hosting our 2019 Stakeholder Summit here in Kansas City today and tomorrow. And our theme this year is a seat at the table. It's all about bringing everyone who's part of animal agriculture, from farmers and ranchers, all the way to restaurant and retail brands, together to sit down and have conversations about the biggest issues and most pressing topics in animal agriculture today. Fascinating. So you've had your morning session already. What were some of the big topics covered? Who were your main speakers earlier today? We just wrapped up our morning session. We kicked off with a consumer focus group. So we actually had uh, six Kansas City area consumers who have no connection to animal agriculture. And we were able to hear their perspectives on labels, animal welfare, sustainability, antibiotic use, what goes into their minds when they're deciding what kind of meat, poultry, dairy, and eggs to buy at the grocery store and to order off of the restaurant menu. So that was a really fascinating glimpse into what our consumers and ultimately our customers actually think, what they're hearing, what shapes their perceptions. Uh, and that's really kind of set the tone for the conversation today. After that session, it was followed up by Dr. Don Ritter, who is a poultry veterinarian with Mount Air, one of the nation's largest broiler companies. And he talked to us about food labels. So again, one of the topics that came up in conversation with the consumer focus group, and he talked about how there are so many different labels, especially when it comes to antibiotic use, that consumers are really confused, they're really overwhelmed, and it can be difficult for them to make informed choices at the store. And he talked about a new One Health label program that's going to hopefully cut through that clutter and help solve that problem. We wrapped up this morning with a panel on sustainability in the beef industry. So we heard from cattle rancher Debbie Lyons-Blythe, 
We heard from Kristen Parman from the Livestock Marketing Institute, and then from Justin Nelson, a VP of Cattle Procurement with Tyson. And they talked about the beef industry's commitment to sustainability and not only being sustainable, but making sure they're communicating what that means to retailers and ultimately consumers. Wow, that sounds like an action-packed morning so far, uh, Hannah. Tell me a little bit more. I'm, I'm curious about the consumer panel in particular. Um, I, I went to college not very far from Kansas City, so Kansas City is obviously a pretty metropolitan, hipster kind of a city. I mean, there's a lot of foodies <laughs> in the city, I would say. What were some of the big takeaways that you had as far as when they were talking about purchases from the grocery store or maybe leaning more towards you know non-GMO or organic or hormone-free? What were some of those trends that you noticed amongst some of those consumer panelists? We recruited a very diverse panel, so different ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds. So it was a really interesting and diverse array of perspectives. We had some people that said animal welfare and the labels on packages are extremely important to them, while we had others that said, you know what, it's all about cost and it's all about taste for me. Those other things don't really factor into my food purchasing decisions. So it's a good reminder that, you know, a lot of times we say consumers think this or consumers want this, but there really is no one consumer. Um, There's a lot of different people out there. They have different values, different motivations. uh, And in order for us to meet their needs, we need to provide different options, different choices to them so that we can really appeal to all the different types of consumers out there. One of the other interesting takeaways is that labels did come up, and there was a sense of interest in labels, but it also came with a lot of skepticism. Um, So this group said, you know what, you can slap a label on a package, but I don't really know what that means. I don't know who's making that claim. Um, So I have a lot of questions about the labels that are on my food. So that was a really interesting, eye-opening thing for our audience, is that people want this information. They have a lot of questions. They're applying some really, you know, skeptical lenses to these things. And that opens up an opportunity for us to make sure we're providing them the information that they really want. So were there anything that the consumer said they just don't see out in the marketplace today? Are there any areas where producers or retailers should be stepping in to provide more information? I think one of the the biggest uh, conversation pieces was things that we talk about a lot in animal agriculture. They really seem to have no awareness of. For example, one of our attendees asked about vegetarian fed, which is a label we're starting to see on especially poultry packaging. And the panel had honestly no clue what that meant. They said, oh, do you mean grass fed? Uh, Which obviously is not what that means. Um, So maybe some of the labels we're trying to market don't actually mean anything and might just be confusing and not driving value to our customer. Um, The other subject was someone in the audience asked about gene editing, and the panel had no idea what that meant and started talking about GMO and non-GMO. So a lot of these newer labels, these newer technologies, now is the time for us to be communicating and providing that information. So if those labels do start popping up and that technology does start to be used, they know and they have that information and they can be confident in making those purchases. And I see in, in some of the press release and agenda material, you talk about animal activists and those folks that are maybe the really extreme consumers that are saying, don't eat animals that are our friend, etc. Do you have any panelists or sessions that deal with the verbiage of how to address those really extreme, the PETA people, the human rights people that are saying what we're doing is wrong? 
Well, monitoring and responding to activist groups and their claims and tactics is a really important part of what we do at the Alliance because they spread a lot of the myths and misinformation that can cause our consumers to be untrusting of their food and to have questions about farmers and ranchers. Um, so we spend a lot of time and energy keeping an eye on those groups and informing the industry as a whole. And actually, all of our programming uh, for the Thursday segment of our summit is going to focus on exactly that topic. So what's going on in terms of animal activists? There's a lot of lawsuits, a lot of legislation going on that our audience needs to be aware of that's being pushed by activist groups. Activists are holding protests. They're trespassing on farms. So we're going to have a session about how we can anticipate being a target and try to protect ourselves. And ultimately, that's what we want to help farmers and ranchers do is protect themselves and the reputation of animal agriculture as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah, the challenges facing protein producers of, of all types of animal agriculture continue to grow. And Hannah, when you think about the future, we've seen some of the quote, uh, unquote, ag gag laws come under fire here recently. Where does the panel, where do, where do you folks tend to sit with those? How can producers um, fight back? Because we are a nonprofit organization, we don't actively lobby or take uh, positions on specific pieces of legislation, but we do absolutely follow those trends as a whole. And the whole idea of farm protection legislation kind of comes about to help farmers and ranchers have a layer of protection against groups and individuals who are more, more than willing to lie, misrepresent themselves to get access to operations, and try to, again, misrepresent what's going on to the detriment of agriculture as a whole. Um, so a lot of those laws are being challenged, again, by activist groups, and we're seeing states adopt different tactics uh, and really try to focus on the falsification of documents, the dishonesty in the hiring process um, versus what content they're sharing, because that brings up a lot of First Amendment concerns. So our recommendation, first and foremost, is always to be beyond reproach. So let's make sure there's absolutely nothing going on that we have concerns about or that consumers might have concerns about. So let's find our vulnerabilities first before someone who wants to exploit them comes along and tries to do that. And then the second piece of advice is to just take some proactive steps to make yourself a harder target. Have a thorough hiring process and vet any people trying to get hired at your farmer facility. Um, have steps in place for gates, locks, motion sensor lighting, cameras, any of those types of things. It's really all about taking common sense steps to make sure that you're protecting yourself from the potential of that kind of issue. Absolutely. And one of the other topics that I, I know you talked about, um, sustainability, particularly in the beef industry, that is a phrase we hear thrown around all the time by companies and marketing folks and, and activists and producers themselves. What's the What was the take on sustainability? How are American producers approaching sustainability? Well, we really wanted to make sure we covered the topic of sustainability, specifically environmental impact, especially in beef, because Meatless Mondays are in the headlines, the Green New Deal made a big splash, and the conversation around the environmental impact of eating beef seems like it's really not going away, and it's something we need to make sure we're having an active voice in that discussion. So our panel at Summit really talked about how um, the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef can be a case study for other industries looking for a way to bring, again, the whole chain from farmers and ranchers to consumer-facing restaurants and retail brands to make sure we are all having these conversations, coming up with consistent definitions, consistent metrics, so that we're all moving in the same direction and all helping one another. Because ultimately, we're all part of the food chain. We all want to serve our consumers. So the more that we can work together and collaboratively, the better. I guess, Hannah, I have, 
you know, this question of the theme that we always hear is farmers need to tell their story. And when they're sitting in conferences like this one where they're getting a lot of information and it's not just producers, of course, that are in the audience there, but producers specifically when they're listening to today's podcast and thinking, okay, well, this affects me, but do I really have any control over what activists or consumers think about my product? Is there anything else that you've seen becoming a trend besides just this overall quote, telling your story? Something that we try to do at our summit is really focus on actionable takeaways, because just like you said, we get this message of we have to be out there, we have to talk about what we do, but if we don't provide people tangible, actionable takeaways, sometimes they don't really know what to do with that or how they can play a role in that conversation. So that's a really important point for us is to have our speakers and panelists give our audience takeaways, action items. Um, For example, on the Beef Sustainability panel, the takeaway, one of them was to just show up. Come to meetings like this. Come to meetings of your cooperative or your integrator or, you know, meetings with others in your supply chain. Make sure you're there and you're having a voice in this discussion because if you're not doing that, um, you really can't complain about what decisions are made or how things go if you aren't taking an active role in that discussion. Um, The other thing that has come up today, especially in the consumer panel, is that people still trust individual farmers. They trust people. So companies, organizations like ours, we can do all that we can to communicate and correct misconceptions about the industry, um, but a farmer actually stepping up and talking to his community or engaging on social media is just worth a million times more than what any of us can do. So you need to put a face on your business, put a face on your industry, and make sure you're being an ambassador um, because you might not think that you're making a difference, but every conversation, every tweet, everything that you do does make some kind of a, a long-term difference in someone's mindset. Absolutely. Hannah, you've got so much going on. Bring us up to speed. What happens this afternoon down there at the conference and what is happening tomorrow other than the activist discussion? This afternoon, we're going to shift into the engaged part of the discussion. So this morning was all about connect. So what are the big issues that's on our consumers' minds? What are we connecting about? And now we're moving on to engage. So how do we engage with influencers and stakeholders about everything that's come up so far today? So we're going to talk about engaging bloggers. We're going to talk about engaging uh, the food chain. We have a panel of restaurant, retail, and food service brand leaders. Uh, we're going to talk about marketing. How do we market? How do we label things that our consumers see, and what does that mean to them? And we're going to wrap up with a duo of dietitians. They're going to talk about how the conversation consumers are having what they're actually buying in the store, which I think is going to be a really interesting conversation. Uh, tomorrow morning, we will be all about ha- issues and protecting the industry. So we're going to hear from a panel about gene editing, blockchain, uh, alternative proteins. So what those hot issues, what's going on in them, and what they can mean for the, our audience and their businesses. And then we're going to move into the activist segment. So what are those extremists doing? How could it affect us? And most importantly, what can we do about it? Fantastic. Folks, follow along on Twitter at hashtag AAA19. And Hannah, if they want to get involved, if they want to make sure they make the conference next year, where can they get more information? You can engage with us on social media. We're Animal Ag on Twitter, Animal Ag Alliance, pretty much uh, everywhere else. You can find uh, our website, animalagalliance.org. There's also a specific summit website, summit.animalagalliance.org, where you can find all the information about this year's agenda and stay tuned for next year. Uh, Back in 2020, we will be in the D.C. area. We go back and forth between D.C. and Kansas City. Uh, So early May 2020, you can join us in Arlington for the next summit. That sounds fantastic. Hannah, we will let you get back to the business at hand. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. 
Thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, again, interesting stuff that they're doing down there. And Hannah wanted us to mention, too, we might be able, if you're tuning into the podcast, might be able to check out, I think, a couple of their sessions they had going on this afternoon. They're doing some live streaming, it sounds like, on social media. Yes. Yeah, so by all means, hop over there to the to at Animal Ag on Twitter. You can find the link and watch the, uh, I don't know, uh, final, yeah, one or two sessions, whatever's going on as soon as you hear this podcast. That's right. Folks, if you are needing to catch up on some podcasts, you can check it out on globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily to find us there. You can also find us in most podcast directories. I believe we're in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. I think maybe Ari Heart Media now too, and possibly Spotify. I got to double check on those, but we are always available for download on those. And absolutely, Mike, if they want to interact with us on social media, where can they do that? They should just search for Ag News Daily. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Ag News Daily. Just look it up. You will find us, and you can always give us your thoughts and stories that we should be covering out there in the world of agriculture. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 